Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Tonight's word is about the order. You have to get the order right. You might have all the right pieces. You think about a puzzle. You can have all the pieces, but if you don't put it in the right order, it doesn't work. Salvation is not complicated. The Bible, the gospel is not complicated, but sometimes we do it out of order. And the Bible says that God does everything decently and in order. Tonight we're going to talk about the order. The Bible is very clear that first we have to release faith. Then God releases the grace, which is empowers the work which produces the fruit. Frustration comes when you try to do it out of order. God does everything decently and in order. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we unpack that a little bit. It says that we're saved by grace. Grace is the power of God. We talked last night a little bit. Grace is the power of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit coming through us. And that is what saves us. It's not we ourselves. We can't save us and we can't save anybody else. It's the power of God. Our part is to release faith. First we release faith, then God releases grace, then comes the work. If we could do something that would make it happen, then we would be able to boast that we controlled it. We don't will the Holy Spirit. We yield to the Holy Spirit. We're... We're not some mighty thing with this little tiny Holy Spirit in our hand that we're making it do what we want. We're this little tiny thing in God's hands allowing him to do what he wants. So we have to get the order right for things to work right. Works alone will frustrate you because you will fail and mess things up. So if you're just trying to do the right thing, if you're just trying to do things, it gets frustrating because it doesn't work. And our Christian life is like that too. We try to make that person get saved. It doesn't work. We try to make them understand the word. It doesn't work. We go and exhaust ourselves trying to save cities and nations and do all of these things and it amounts to nothing. It's fruitless because you're starting from the grounds of the work. Now on the other end of the spectrum, grace alone will make you lazy and complacent, and you will fail and mess things up also. Because if you think that you'll never have to do anything and grace is just going to robot you, then you'll never do anything. James gives the example of saying that works is like the physical body. Grace is like the spirit. If you only have works, then it's like a dead body. If you only have grace, it's like a spirit that doesn't have a body. Neither one can affect anything. The thing that bridges between is the soul, the breath. The Bible says that God breathed into 
man, the physical flesh part, his spirit, and he became a living soul. It animated him. That's where the faith realm is. The, the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotion. That's where you, by faith, give up your will and begin to receive God's. So, instead of starting by trying to make everything work, or starting by thinking that you don't do anything and just let whatever be be, you have to start from the realm of coming to God and finding out what his will is and surrendering. And then from there, he will empower, and from the empowering, the works will manifest. Really, it's about following his leading and just walking with him down the journey, and then everything else will come in alignment with it. Sometimes we get distracted and we're not even with him because we're so focused on trying to make something happen. It's more about the being than the doing. In the being, there will be doing, but he'll be doing it through you, and it's, it's going to bear fruit. It all starts with faith. And Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So to receive that faith that you need to start this journey right, you get that in prayer, in worship, in reading the word, in time in his presence, in church, in sermons. You ask him, Lord, what is your will for me? Lord, what is your promise? Lord, what? Or maybe sometimes he's already kind of pushed you in, you know, out of that boat because you're facing a situation. Like, for example, Bree and Corey and the kids. They, they had to seek the Lord because there was a need. And in seeking the Lord, they got a promise. Then they had to put their faith in that promise. And then as they put their faith in that promise, no matter how impossible it was, they had to start following God's instructions. And then he started releasing the grace to fulfill that promise, and then the works manifested. Now, if they would have just gone and did whatever they thought they could to get their kids back, that would be starting in works, and it wouldn't have worked. If they would have just sat there and continued doing drugs and said, oh, by grace, it's going to happen, nothing would have happened. It had to start with faith. They had to seek the Lord, get a word, get a promise, believe it enough to start following him on that journey. And that's how everything is in life. So if, and we've all experienced that. But once you get to that victory... It's easy to get lazy and fall back into the problem of either just doing random works and getting exhausted or depending on grace and getting lazy. What you have to do is go back to the prayer closet, go back to the worship, go back to the fellowship, the communion, and get a new promise, get a new word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Seek him until you begin to get something, a vision, a purpose, a ministry, whatever it is that he's calling you to in the next journey, hear it clearly, wait for many confirmations, and then once you know it, have faith in it. And as long as you maintain your faith in it, pray for it regularly, he's going to start leading you down a journey. And once you're moving down that journey, because that is the will and destiny that he has for you, even if it's just seasonal, then he's going to start sending the grace to empower you and to empower this because he will fulfill his will. God's grace is released as a resource to fulfill his will, not ours or our vain imaginations. So ultimately, we have to come to him and say, Lord, 
Where are we going? What are you doing? Lord, speak to me. And, and you don't have to have extreme clarity. Sometimes he, he gives it to you very vague because you would never believe it if he gave you all the details anyway. Sometimes it's easier for you to believe the vague than, than all of the crazy he's about to take you through. But trust him. Seek him. Get that word. And, and don't go to him as a, I need the destiny. I need a word. Just go to him for him. Just worship. Just spend time in his presence because as he reveals himself to you, he'll start to show you what he wants to do with you. It's going to come. But focus on the visitation. Focus on the presence. Focus on the worship. Focus on the word. Don't get so focused on the destination that you never even get the journey started or you start a different journey that you shouldn't even be on or you're trying to fulfill it without letting him bring you through because the journey is more important almost than the destination because that's where he teaches you. That's where the experiences come from that are going to empower you, that he can use you to teach others when you get to the destination. So if we're so focused trying to make the destination happen, if, if even if we could get to it, it's going to be fruitless because we're not going to have anything to offer anyone when we get there. So when we seek the Lord, when we spend that time to start the journey by faith in prayer and worship, in um, reading the word and hearing and listening, let it be not out of obligation because that's a work, but out of visitation to receive a word, a promise, a touch, or some comfort. Because that's who God is. And that's where faith begins. We like to overcomplicate it. But it's really that simple. So before we go any further, we're going to pray for that. Lord, we come before you tonight and we repent if we have gotten things out of order, if we try to accomplish things in the flesh, in works, or if we've gotten lazy and just depended on grace to do everything and really haven't come to you to receive a word, to have faith in. So we're moving in every direction, but where we need to be. We have to follow your lead, Lord. So we ask you to speak to each individual, Lord, as we commit to sit with you in worship and in visitation, uh, not out of obligation or fear of correction, but that you are sending out an invitation that you want us to come and visit and, and receive of your spirit. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come to fill us, to indwell us, to speak to us, to lead us, to give us fresh vision for this season that we're entering into. Lord, I pray that for those who have already gone through wildernesses and battles and victories, Lord, that they not uh, die there or become complacent, Lord, but that they would come to you and say, okay, Lord, what's the next step? What's the next journey? What's the next mission? What's the next promise? You have been faithful to fulfill all that you have spoken, Lord. Let us not stop here, but let us move further into bigger, grander, greater things, Lord. Our faith should be increased by the things we have experienced. So give us vision, give us understanding, give us something to put our faith in as we continue this journey in the name of Jesus. Now, it's going to take some worship, it's going to take some pressing, it's going to take probably some fasting and maybe a few days. You know, when I start seeking the Lord for something, I don't expect to get an answer right away. Sometimes I do, but many times it might take 40 days of fasting. Usually what I'll get will be pieces throughout 
but then by the end of the time frame that, that I'm fasting and praying about it, then something will come that will just make all the pieces fit together. You know, it's like that final puzzle piece that just makes it all click. And then I understand. I have my revelation. Um, but it, it might not be, you know, 60 days, 40 days. It might take a while. So have faith. Wait for confirmation because God is consistent and persistent. The devil is the father of lies. He can speak things to you too, but it won't be consistent. It'll be all over the place. So just don't just take something in the quick and run with it. I'm always reminded of Elijah when he ran to the uh, cave and he was seeking God. It says, you know, the storm came and it was loud and mighty and boisterous, but it says God wasn't in it. And then the fire came and it says, but the Lord wasn't in it. And there was an earthquake, you know, all these things that we associate with the Holy Spirit, wind, fire, Captain Planet, you know. <laughs> right. But, but the Lord wasn't in it. And then finally, the still small voice came and God gave him instruction. So be cautious of what you get in the quick. Wait and worship. Think about Moses. I mean, there's barely, I don't think there's a man, a human man that can claim the closeness that Moses had with God and he still had to wait on God for seven days before he had his visitation, you know, and, and we think we can wait seven minutes and get all the revelation of heaven, right? So uh, the, the disciples, you know, when they prayed for the day of Pentecost, they prayed for seven days. So wait upon the Lord. Spend the time that you have, you know, if it's a few minutes a day, whatever it is, Pray, seek, worship, write down whatever you get and wait. You're going to see that he begins to confirm things in a lot of different ways. He'll give you scriptures in your reading that are starting to bring together a theme. You might turn on uh, some worship music and the things they're singing or speaking confirmation to what you were getting. You might come to church and the lesson or the preaching is in line with the same thing you've been getting. You might drive down the road and there's a billboard and God's like, here's your sign. Do you get it? <laughs> God will do that. You know, somebody will be talking to you and they'll just start saying things that are, and it's all coming together. God is consistent and persistent. God is patient and God wants us to test the spirits. So it's not a lack of faith to wait for the confirmations. He wants you to have faith in the things that he's, he's telling you. But if you seek you shall find. If you knock, the door will be opened. So once you hear something, and we talked a little bit just now about how we hear it, we have to take our time and be patient. Don't trust what comes in the quick. Seek and wait for confirmations. Put your faith in what you heard. So after you do this, you take some time, you get a clear word from the Lord. Years ago when I was praying for something, and I, I would always ask him, give me three confirmations. Let me know for sure it's you. And he'd usually give me like 200. Like God is very willing to. Well, after a while, like every time he would speak to me, I'd be like, okay, confirm it. Show me that it's you. And after a while, I started to feel guilty. Like I'm not, I have no faith. I'm not believing God. He's going to get mad at me. And God very clearly spoke to me. And he said, it's not unbelief to test the spirits, it's wisdom. I tell you in my word to do that. But once you know what I have spoken and that it is me not to do it, that is unbelief. It's a lack of faith. So once we know he's spoken something, 
and we don't want to do it because we think it's crazy or it's not going to work, or th then that is not having faith. So once we have heard and we've gotten that word and we know that the Lord has given something to us, that's where the journey of faith really begins because the devil is going to come to attack it. Keep your faith in it. The word will be tested and hell will come against it and try to make you lose faith in it. This, in actuality, will be your greatest confirmation. Once you really receive that word and you're like, okay, God, I know what you're saying. I'm going to step out in faith and start moving in this direction. I'm going to start obeying whatever it is. I'm going to give up this. I'm going to do that, whatever. All hell will come against it. And then you will really know that this was the mission. I always said that when the devil fights something, then that's usually your strongest confirmation because the level of resistance is always a direct measure of the potential that he is trying to stop. The only people that never come face to face with the devil are those already at his side. If he's not fighting, because he got no reason to, you're not a threat. You're not doing anything for the kingdom. God himself, however, will fight for it and keep pointing you towards it if you keep your faith in it and stay the course. Then you will have to endure for it. Faith is proven in the waiting. It takes endurance because it usually doesn't come instantly. There's a reason for the journey. Every time we get a promise, every time we, we pray and, and we feel like the Lord is going to do something, we always think it's going to happen right away. And we think we are worthy of it and we are ready for it. Oh, just give me that promised land. I'm going to do good by it. The journey God takes us through is to prepare us for it because there's things that we don't see that he does. He knows the heart. And in actuality, the truth is, is that most of the waiting season is really to teach us how to get the order right because we're always going to tend to moving either towards works and being exhausted or towards grace and being lazy. But when you get it right and you keep the, the, the motivation and the focus on faith, it's going to produce works by bringing the grace and you're going to have strength. You're going to be able to do it because part of grace is the spirit of might. Of course, grace is the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that because the Old Testament, when it prophesied of the crucifixion, it said that uh, when they would pierce Jesus, of course, it doesn't say Jesus. It says the son of David. When they would pierce him, it would release the spirit of grace. So grace literally is the power of the Holy Spirit. So the power of the Holy Spirit is there to empower us to do God's will, to produce good works, to be able to be saved. And if we're working with Jesus, then we're his, we're hidden in him, we're going to come to New Jerusalem with him, we're going to rule and reign with him. So it's all going to come by the grace, but that has to come by faith. We have to walk with him, we have to continue the journey, and if we don't even seek him to know what it is he wants to do with us and through us, then you can't start the journey. Or a lot of people are just on their own journey. I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he said many would say, have we not done all these wonderful works in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's those who do the will of the Father that actually make it into heaven. They never sought him for his will. They never got the word, so it wasn't true faith. So all the works that they did were in vain. So be ready to endure. 
Faith is proven in the waiting. Love is proven in the waiting, right? Every good love story has some epic season of waiting. Oh, the tension. But if you love, you will wait. All the greats in Scripture waited for their promises. They allowed God to prepare them to possess it. In actuality, if God would give us right away what he wants to, we would not only squander it, but we would end up probably losing our own soul in the process. It's in the waiting that he prepares us to possess it and not to be destroyed by the promise once we get it. Those who tried to rush the promise in the Bible and those who tried to rush getting their promises in reality only succeed in delaying it. And I can tell you that by experience. The more you try to make it happen, the more you mess it up, the more you slow it down. We're just like the Israelites in the wilderness around that mountain over and over again. I always like when the Bible, when God called the Israelites stiff-necked, because I understand that because I rode horses. I had horses growing up. And when you ride a horse, when you're trying to move it in certain direction, right? So you hear the word from the Lord and you're like, okay, yeah, let's go get the promise. Let's, I'm working with you. I'm working with you. And he's trying to steer us in this direction. And the horses decided, you know what? I think I know better. I want to go over here. And so it's trying, you're trying to turn its head this way and it stiffens its neck. No, I'm not going there. I want to go here. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. That's what stiff-necked is. It's a horse that has locked up so that it can't be driven in the right direction. So what do you do when a horse does that? Well, you let it go the other direction, and you make it waste its energy and walk in a full circle until it's back where it was. And then you try to steer it that way again. And if it locks up again, you do it again. Usually by the second or third time, it gives up, and you'll get them going the right way. That's why the Israelites went in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. Like a, yeah, they were stubborn mules. That's exactly what it was. A horse usually breaks in two or three circles. They took like 40, so. Some of us took more. More or less. But we think about the people in Scripture. The greats had to wait because God was preparing them for something. Abraham, Joseph, Moses and Israel as a nation. Even Jesus waited for his appointed time. He, he didn't just run out and do things. But if you think about the times when some of those tried to make it happen, tried to take the reins of it, they really caused delays. Abraham and Sarah tried to create their own baby of promise, and it caused all kinds of delays and problems that are still you know, plaguing the world today. Um, you think about Moses, when Moses first realized that he was going to lead these, these people out of Egypt, that he was actually Jewish, he goes and, and tries to do it in his strength, in his flesh, in his own understanding, and he ends up killing a man. God runs him out of Egypt. He goes and hides and has to go through his own wilderness for 40 years, tending flocks and, and learning how to be a husband and a father and a herdsman and a, you know, a tribesman. Then God, after he teaches him the lessons, brings him back to lead the people, and he comes back as the meekest man in the world, according to Scripture at that time. So trying to run ahead of God will actually only slow the process down. 
Most of our waiting time is spent learning how to get the order right. Trying to make things happen by your works is relying on the flesh. Trying to wait for something to happen on its own through grace is like a spirit trying to affect a body that is dead. It's faith that animates all of it and gets it working together. It's like God's breath to Adam. God created man's flesh from the dust. God's spirit needed to be able to affect it. So he breathed into man and he became a living soul and came alive and began to move with purpose. So we need to be breathed on tonight. We're going to receive the Holy Spirit and come alive. We're going to receive and believe a word by divine revelation. We're going to put our faith in it and in God's faithfulness to fulfill it. And that's key. Not only putting your faith in it, but in God to fulfill it. Now, you might keep having to pray to remind yourself of his faithfulness. And he wants to see that you still believe for it and have anticipation. But ultimately, it is him that has to do it. And the things that we do is just him doing it through us. And we only move when he tells us to. Otherwise, we're waiting on him. Because many times, God will use somebody else to fulfill and to answer the promise. And he'll use us in pieces in other people's journeys. That way, everybody knows that it's him and not us. It kind of goes back to Danny's grace message when Paul was saying, you know, I, I, I asked God three times to remove this thing from me that was plaguing him. He said, and God didn't. And the reason God did it was so that he would not become prideful because of the wealth of revelation that God was revealing through him. God was speaking all of this great depth of revelation. God was using him to heal people and raise the dead and, and people. And he himself might begin to believe for a moment that he actually was doing this or had this ability in and of himself. So he said, God needed to remind me by leaving this thing in me that I could not heal. If you can't even fix your own self in, a, in this situation, then you have to remember that it must not be me. It's got to be grace. So I have to come back to that place where I release my faith, put my faith in him, and continue following him on the journey. Not our works. It's faith that will change us. It's not the doing or really even the obeying in our own strength or in our own understanding, but it's a pursuit of God as he walks us to our promise. That's the journey that he wants for us, not really perfection as much as endurance. He knows from the beginning when he calls us that we're going to fall, that we're going to mess up. He sees the end from the beginning, and yet he still chose us. He wants endurance because as long as you're willing to endure, he's going to be able to teach you. He's going to get you through all of the problems. He's going to be able to strip you, to equip you, and to get you to that promise. So when God picks people, when God chooses, because yes, God does choose because he knows the end from the beginning. He sees the heart. He told the disciples that I chose you. And we know that in the time, rabbis were usually pursued by people, and people chose the rabbi they wanted to be like. But when Jesus chose, he went to them. So in essence, what he was really telling them is, I know you can do this. You can be like me. 
but you're going to have to endure. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to let me teach you. You're going to have to let me lead you. So when God chooses us, he knows we can do it because he sees the end from the beginning. The only question is, are you going to endure to get there? Basically, you can't lose. The devil can only convince you to quit, to give up, or to abandon it, or to run from it. As long as you keep pursuing God, even when you mess up, if your heart was to, to get it right and you come to him, he'll show you where you messed up and he'll show you how to get over it and how to not do it again. He will continue to teach you. He's not giving up on us. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 13, that he that shall endure unto the end, it is him that shall be saved. I think a lot of people give up early on because they think that they, sh they, ha they should be perfect. And when they mess up or when things don't go right, they get very condemned. And they forget, they don't understand that really God's looking for people with endurance. When I was young, you know, I was always told, don't, don't you know, in sports and, and to get people on your team, don't look for the ones that seem really strong. Look for the ones that have endurance. Even if they're smaller or look a little weaker, if, if, they're gonna, if they have endurance, that's who you want on your team. And God knows. There are some who look amazing. Those people, when, when you think they first get saved and they can tear down the world and, and they will do all this and do that, but they burn out quick. Daddy would call them pine trees. Pine trees grow up really tall, really fast. They reach for the sky, but they're shallow rooted. The first storm that comes knocks them over. Then you got those who God knows will endure. The oak trees grow slow. That's what daddy always said. Look for the ones that grow slow. An oak tree grows slow, but it gets rooted in. What's happening under the ground in the unseen is actually more than what's happening above ground. The root system on an oak tree is actually larger than what you see above the ground. That's the ones that are going to endure the storms. So if things seem to be going slow, if God keeps saying wait, if God seems to be dragging out the journey, maybe it's because you're an oak tree and you're being prepared to endure some storms that are coming. Maybe there's some hurricanes in your future, but you're going to be a shelter to many in the midst of it, so be patient. The pine, you see more of it in the seen. There's very little root system in the unseen. The oak, there's actually more in the unseen than what's in the seen. And, and that's really a good visual of getting the order right. Because the prayer, the worship, the, the fasting, the intercession, um, the reading the word, the stuff that nobody sees, the, the crying out, those things, the fellowship, the communion with God, the unseen things, that's where it has to come from. And then the works and all those other things should be much less. They should be an overflow. You know, your preaching should be an overflow of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you at home. You should be preaching more at home than you are in the pulpit. If you're leading worship, you should be worshiping more when you're by yourself than you are before the church. You should be praying more at home than you are in front of people. What others see should actually just be an overflow a little bit compared to the enormity of what's happening in the unseen. And when that's happening, then you have a real journey with real power that will produce real fruit. If it's the other way around, eventually something's going to topple that tree. But remember that God wants you, he loves you, and he has not given up on you.
He's not surprised by your failures. He knew it would happen when he called you, and he still called you. He still chose you. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows those who will make it. I can say, y'all, a lot of y'all know Pastor Daniel's testimony. So years ago when he wasn't doing well, and God had tasked me with praying for him and giving him words and so forth, there was a point at which, because he really didn't want to hear from me, um, I was I was like just so frustrated at one point, and I was like, God, why am I wasting my time? Like he he doesn't want to hear it. He's not he's not getting saved. Why do I keep giving him the same words over and over again? And God was like, No, he keep going. He will be saved. And I'm like, But God, he has a free will. He can choose not to listen. And God told me this. He said, Yes, he does have a free will. But I see the end from the beginning, and I know the outcomes of the choices that he will freely make. In other words, we all have choices to make. We do make our own choices. But that doesn't negate the fact that God still sees the outcomes of those choices. So he still knew who Danny would become. Just like he prophesied and spoke over David when David was just a kid and said, he's a man after my own heart. He's speaking of a child about the man that he will be. He knows what's going to be. That doesn't mean he makes it happen. He just sees the end from the beginning. He exists outside of time. That's how the prophetic works. So God knows. And when God calls us, he has a purpose and a plan for us. So if we're willing to seek him, he will begin to reveal and give glimpses and start you on that journey. And when that happens, the power of the kingdom will come to back it. Powerless Christianity is a selfish Christianity because in actuality, it usually means that we're just living by our own leading and ambition. But when we start to seek God and walk out his missions, then the power starts flowing to accomplish it. Now, it might not be in a way that everybody can see it because he wants to keep you hidden until you learn all the lessons that are needed. But nevertheless, you will see the miraculous. God will do things. He will move through you. That's the whole purpose. I give you that little testimony of Danny to kind of remind you that God knows. God knew Danny was going to reject a lot of those words. But he knew that one day he would truly get saved and would help a lot of people and would lead a church. So he kept sending me and others And God will do that with us, to us, through us. God has not given up on you. You still have a purpose. And sometimes he calls us to keep working on the most unlikely characters because he knows they have endurance. And maybe they're not there yet, but they've not given up. And then some that we might think, oh, that's the ones, Lord. Look, they're putting on a show. And God knows. And he's like, no, no, that's a Judas, let him go. He's done it to me. There have been some that God has said, no, I've not called you to this. Let them go. They're not for real and they're not going to be. Now, that doesn't mean that God has damned them or made them that way. God just knows our decisions. He knows what's in the heart. I don't believe that people are predestined for hell, but God knows if you're going to reject him. He knows if that mission is fruitless. He's not going to send you into fruitless fields. He's going to call you where he can use you. He's going to go where the heart cry is, and therefore we go with him, and then the work will be 
fruitful and productive. So it's about learning the right order. It's got to start with faith. We got to trust him. God knew the choices that Pastor Daniel would freely make. He was not a pastor then. But I had to have faith in what God said when it didn't make sense. I trusted him because I had learned that I could not trust my own judgment through my experiences with a previous relationship. So with my ex, I thought, because he played the part, oh, he's a good Christian, he's in church, he said all the right things. It seemed so right, and it all fell apart and turned very wrong. So at that point, I learned I can't trust what I see, what I think, or what I feel. So God, you're going to have to tell me. And so God says, okay, go work on, on this person, that person, and that person. And it was not what I thought. It was not what I felt like doing. It just didn't, it didn't make sense. But God knew. So you get a word, and you trust it. And you stand on it, and you continue to pursue it until the power of God comes to manifest it. And then you know it was really him because it happens. It, the impossible happens. And that's where faith is proven. What you see, what you think, and what you feel will deceive you, but God never will. So faith releases grace, and then the works will follow. It's kind of like a seed. It's planted in the ground. That's like the faith, right? You lay it down. It doesn't make sense. It's just a little dried up dead thing, and then you put it under the dirt. The grace is the power of God that comes and transforms the situation. That's like whenever God causes that seed to germinate and come to life and turn into something completely different. Science cannot really explain it. That is a work of God. It becomes a plant, and then eventually the works follow. That's like the plant growing up and producing the fruit. We have to believe what God says. We've got to seek and then believe. Then we have to be willing to die, to let all of our plans, ambitions, thoughts go and trust him, and then he will resurrect and bring new life. We receive the word, we surrender to it, and then the spirit comes to manifest it. Some of us have been trying to figure out how to fight when all you really needed to do was allow yourself to die. That seed doesn't have to figure out how to turn into a plant or how to produce fruit. It's just got to stay under the dirt long enough to die. You got to stay in that prayer closet, in that worship, and in that word long enough to let your will, your thoughts, your ambitions die. And then you will be turned into something different and you will produce fruit over time. Have faith and wait. Prayer is, prayer is just spending time with Jesus. And that's really ultimately what his, his goal is for us. Because it's, it's in that place that he begins to reveal himself to us that we start to learn his will that we can then, by faith, choose to give up our will. That's really the faith issue, to trust him. And, and I used to always say, we all know we can trust God inherently. The problem is learning that we can't trust us because we always think we know better and that we can figure it out and this is going to work and this makes sense. Really, the time with him is getting him to reveal himself, to reveal his will so that we can give up our will and trust him. Because once we start to walk in obedience 
and faith or trust in his will and his plan, the grace is going to come to accomplish it, and then the works are going to manifest. Basically, we got to do it his way because that's the only way that's going to work. So it's our life laid down, his manifested, surrender, trust, empowered to obedience. Spend time with him, visit, dance with him, whatever the spirit leads you to do. Establish a friendship, worship, and the rest will flow out of it. Surrender to his will. Follow the leading of his spirit. Watch him fulfill his promises. And finally, be victorious. It has to start with faith. Not vain imaginations or your own ambitions, but faith in something that he has spoken in both the Logos and Rhema. Logos is just the Bible, the written word. Rhema is what what you feel he speaks to you in prayer. As long as those two line up, what you feel like you're hearing and and what you've learned from the word and from preaching, uh, then you can trust that and you put your faith in it and start moving in that direction. We can share testimonies, and I think we can see the big victories in our lives happened when we did this the right way in the right orders. You know, I I know the, the things that I've been through, and we could call out every person in here. Jacob's mom getting saved, Corey and Bree getting off of drugs, Pastor Daniel getting saved, Daddy's heart attack. God said something. We believed it enough to start moving in that direction. He released the grace to do it, and it produced fruit. But anytime we just do stuff, what happens? You just get exhausted. And anytime you just say, you know what, God's going to make it happen, you get lazy and complacent. It has to start from a place of faith, which is going to come from a place of prayer and worship and word and really, ultimately, visitation. I think we can all say that one big reminder of that was when God gave the word for us to start warring against the spirit of death. How ridiculous is that? God literally said the principality over this nation is the spirit of death. Start warring against it and you'll overturn it. It's got a root of power here. Lay the axe to the root. There's a scripture that says you're my battle axe, my weapon of war, and with you I will overthrow kingdoms. How, how crazy, that's an impossible thing. We can't do that, but we were crazy enough to believe. We moved in faith. We prayed. God began to, by his grace, open up the opportunity for more to join us and look at where we are today. It's hard to even stand there and believe that we actually walked through that battle, but it has happened. We see it from the victory. Roe versus Wade was overturned in the most impossible political climate for it to happen. God did it. By his own power, we saw the work manifested, but it started with works. Did it start with protests? Did it start with trying to go get the right politicians into office? No, it had to start with faith. Receive a word, believe it, pray, obey, see it manifested. Amen. I think the weariness is when you constantly come to God in prayer and say, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? How do I do this? How do I do this? What do I need to do? And he's like, what can you do? Stop it. You're annoying. He he wants us to be the bride. The bride abides. The bride loves. The bride worships. The bride helps when he acts us. That's it. Be the bride. Don't try to be the husband. He will do it. All right. Amen.
So Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the reminder. We thank you for the simplicity of it and the simplicity of who you are, that you bring us back to the basics and the reminder that you do the work. You do the heavy lifting. Our responsibility is to come and visit. You are the bridegroom. We are the bride. Our job is to love you and to spend time with you. And as we walk with you and you do the work, Lord, then we we, we participate and we are seen in that place of, of victory and breakthrough because that's where you are. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit produces fruitfulness, that it produces increase, that it brings victory. And Lord, we're sorry for all the times we got busy and labored in the fires in vain. Lord, we're sorry for the times that we got lazy and just waited on grace, Lord, when in actuality we have to come back to that place of prayer and worship and word and intercession and really above all, holy visitation. Because where you are, there the kingdom of heaven is and everything else and everything good will flow from it. So Lord, we thank you for this reminder. I pray that everyone take it home and take it to heart and start their journey in the right place, in the right way from that place of faith because they've taken time to pray and to seek you and to wait until they've heard what you have to say. And then no matter what the devil comes to do to take it away, to stand in faith on that thing and to continue to press forward towards it, towards the mark of the high calling and watch you do impossible things to make it happen. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.